Our first story deals with a subculture of heavy metal music that some feel is sending a dangerous message to your kids. The forces of evil on the dark side of devil right. And I want to talk tonight about the devil and demons and witches and wizards. And we just mix it up with hardcore and aggression and come out with something that we think an original sound. Loud, fast, heavy, you know. Well, what do you got? What do you got? And welcome back to Riff Worship. I am Arkansas's prodigal son, the Dill Bozer, <laughs> Dylan Adams. And with me, as always, is Chicago's own greatest son, Austin Paulson. How are you doing, bud? Uh-huh. I am neither of those things. I'm doing great. Uh, we are back once again for another week of Riff Worship, talking about all things the Riff. Why do we love the Riff? Why do we worship all things the Riff? Uh, we're in our third part. Of our cattle yeah. decapitation series, uh, we were we were so much younger back then in the first part, so full of hope. Uh, and as these albums have progressed, it has just gotten bleaker and more depressing. No, no uh, hope. Humanity, humanity is is terrible, and uh, we're all going to pay for it. And we'll certainly be talking about that in uh, this episode. Uh, we'll be talking about monolith of inhumanity as well as the Anthropocene extinction. Uh, you got it, bud. Wow, I did it. That was that's, I was gearing myself up and trying. That's like, that's a hard one. Right. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> that that is that is a really hard one to pronounce. Uh, I mean, you look at like their most recent record, which is Terracite, which is two words, um, and uh, two words combined. And at least that's a little bit easier to pronounce than Anthropocene extinction. What's uh what's the Patrice O'Neill joke where it's like if they had a gun to my mother's head and they asked <laughs> me to spell something, <laughs> I love you. Spell tomorrow. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> where's, where's the M's in that fucking word? Um, the, the these are bleak records. Uh, this was actually my first introduction into the band. Uh, Th- that I, being I, Monolith. Monolith uh, came out in 2012, May yep. 8th of 2012. I think I had just graduated high school or was about to graduate high school. Um, I was still kind of coming off of a an era of my life that I would say was very close-minded. I only really liked older forms of music, mm-hmm. uh, older metal, uh, older hardcore. I didn't really go past uh, like a certain, you know, era of music, I would say. Um, I got into municipal waste and that was kind of like the thing that helped push me into finding underground bands, finding some newer things that are pretty much doing the same things, doing the same things that I liked uh, maybe even better at some point. And so I kind of stumbled upon cattle decapitation uh, through a very infamous video. I'm sure we'll be getting into in this episode, but uh, that was my first introduction to this band was this record in particular, uh, monolith of inhumanity from 2012. Um, this is their seventh full-length album. I guess I want to start by asking you, since you were already familiar with this band for quite some time by this point, um, you got in through the Harvest Floor? Uh, Karma, Bloody Karma. Karma, Bloody sure. Karma. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going from Karma, Bloody Karma, the uh, and then the Harvest Floor, and then Monolith, you know, what, what were your thoughts on the record? Um, obviously some changes in lineup, uh, changes in sounds even. Yeah, uh, you know what? What was your first reaction when you were when you heard this record? I knew a new record was coming out. Um, obviously, like Metal Blade had 
they they rolled out the wagon when it came to like pre-orders and everything and i think this was during a period where i wasn't buying physical media um and i remember torrenting the album when it came out um i have since bought a copy so i've made up for that um but i remember torrenting it listening to it and thinking all right this is a bit different um it almost me saying that this album is mid tempo is like is a little um a little ridiculous because there are some just ghastly speeds on here on Absolutely. this record but everything is so much more uh structured everything is so much more uh there's a reason for every part on this record it definitely feels like songs were crafted in that manner as opposed to hey here's these really rad parts we can create a song out of this definitely felt more along the lines of here's a hook here's a chorus here's a vocal melody even funnier thing to say um but it definitely felt different uh i don't know how um it really hit me at first. I can't remember how it really hit me, but I just remember feeling like, well, this is different. And obviously it catches on. You 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 latch onto the parts that go, oh, this is extremely different and this is unexpected for this band. I distinctly remember um, speaking to a mutual friend of ours uh, during the period of time that this album came out. And I remember that person like going like, yeah, it's a sellout record. It's like, all right, this is this is funny. <laughs> This is a extremely funny statement to hear about a fucking brutal death metal band. Um, but it, it was different. Um, this is a really, in comparison to the last record, kind of a, uh, it's a very dry record in a sense of there's not a lot of crazy guitar overdubs. Um, you know, it's bass, drums, guitars, vocals. Uh, like, yeah, there's definitely some layering in it, but it definitely seemed almost like, all right, change a pace here's this more straightforward sounding record but we're still taking we're still progressing uh in the extreme manner but we're bringing in more of these outside influences i mean there's in my listen to it i hear like old school heavy metal riffs in it yep. all over it like there's a lot less like death metal riffs in it uh it's more like old school metal maybe even hard rock if you slow the tempo down like 100 bpms um there's even some like some kind of like no wave or new wave kind of like vocal influences all over this thing uh fields of nephilim like stuff like that um but it's it's i mean it's a massive sounding record it's a massive record and the more you listen to it the more you hear of it and the more it kind of sticks with you but it's the big the big thing to me that stuck out with this is that it's fucking bleak. It is. There is no hope. I mean, those last two tracks on this album, which tended, which became kind of a calling card for this band, uh, starting with the last record, was the last two tracks just set you up for <laughs> a complete like mood change of where it was. But this might be, this might be their album with the most hits you know it, it's death metal like people saying death metal and hits together always gets a laugh but it's like hey their known songs can be considered hits like yeah it wasn't a billboard it wasn't a billboard top 100 like charting single but i mean when you look at tracks like forced gender reassignment and uh 
uh, my favorite, which is one of my favorites, which is like a living, breathing piece of defecating meat. Um, <laughs> I mean, Your Disposal has a great vocal melody. Yeah, that, that might be my favorite track on the record. Um, let's, let's get into some of the lore here a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, going from a record like The Harvest Floor to uh, Monolith, uh, there's definitely some changes. There's definitely more of a focus. I mean, if you can even say it is less chaotic, because as you mentioned, there is more, there is less weird kind of spastic yeah. parts, I guess. But there is also more songwriting. There's yep. a there's a there is a progression in songwriting on this record, and I feel like that also has to do with their new producer, Dave Otero, who has yep. since kind of remained uh, their kind of go to guy, maybe even yep. like the fifth or sixth member of this band. So, Dave Otero, glad you mentioned him. Uh, I mean, he has he has a list of credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a couple of them kind of jotted down here that are that are big ones for him. Chemist, Primitive Man, uh, The Canadian Awake, uh, Cephalic Carnage, yep. uh, Archspire, uh, and our favorite band, Allegiant. Um, <laughs> or he's he's produced all this stuff and as well as stuff that I can't even list. And just because the list is so vast, uh, but he's essentially become like their fifth member or sixth member at this point in time, right? Yeah, if you like throw in West Ben's Cotter in there, it's yeah. it's a team. You know, it takes yep. a village. It's very much reminiscent of, you know, when you watch like the Guar documentary and there's like all of oh, these man. other characters yeah. that uh, kind of make the thing happen. You have like the four members at this point and then Wes and Dave. And so you mentioned Cephala Carnage. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they're kind of the tie in here with how uh, Cattle Decapitation gets in touch with Dave in that uh, Dave pretty much produced their entire discography i mean they're Mm -hmm. both located in colorado uh they'd worked together for a long time and then cattle also uh being friends with cephala carnage for forever you know you they'd stop there on tour and stay with the band and so that that name david taro is is kind of always in the back of their mind getting mentioned and so i think with this record perhaps they wanted to do something different you know um not to say that the records that they did with billy anderson weren't great they were and I feel like he allowed the band to do, uh, he allowed the band to have some experimentation. Uh, I think there was a quote that said, you know, Billy's, Billy's great, Billy's fun, but Dave's like not. And, and yeah. that was pretty much it. Like he kind of, he whips him into shape and you kind of need the person to go, yeah, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. Like just brutal honesty to kind of help you rein in or that takes suck. Yeah. Do it again. There's kind of this joke that I've seen in some of the, some of the interviews about the record or talking about different bands recording with Otero. And they, they basically talk about the back of his head a lot. They're like, Oh yeah, <laughs> the back of, you know, the back of Otero's head or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm sure that it's got to do with just like him, not necessarily paying attention to all the silliness that's going on as much as like, Hey, let's make sure this thing sounds rad. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they essentially went to Colorado. They've done that the last, let's see, from Monolith on to the most recent record. They've done that four records now. Um, they've spent time there and have released um, one massive album after another. Uh, and it all started with this record that just, they wanted to do something different. Yeah, and and that's it. It, it, it yeah. does sound like there was a, from what I've researched, you know, with the Harvest Floor, 
I think they were kind of bored and, and wanted to do something different. Yeah. Then, all right, now there's like a clear uh, statement in mind. There's something that you want to do, like uh, progression where right. this one was definitely like, fuck it, we're going to do exactly what we want to do. If nobody likes it, that's fine. We had a great run. We had uh, an amazing yep. career, uh, amazing span of records. Uh, you know, I I can't say that they'd, you know, listening back to some of the interviews and some of the um, kind of stories from this recording, it sounded like, you know, Travis has been on record saying, like, I'd pretty much done everything that yeah. I wanted to do by this point. So if it yep. didn't work out, that's fine. I, I did it. I can say that I did it. And, you know, luckily they succeeded yep. in doing things that, the way they've always done, just by the beat of their own drum. And so you have Monolith. And so I think what, really helps too is that maybe they had a little bit more time to sit with this record. I think they uh, wrote it over the course of the year. I know it, it may have been hard to get together at certain points. So maybe the, the time spent together yeah. is not as much as a year, but uh, perhaps maybe they had more time to write and construct this record uh, than previous efforts. Um, but yeah, so you essentially have a new producer. You also have a new uh, bass player as well. Derek Engman, who has gone on to play with oh Bill and Sam on the Illegals, uh, he has filled in for Rex Brown when he was ill for this recent Pantera sh- uh, reunion, mm-hmm. you know celebration, whatever <laughs> we want to call that. Uh, he's filled in for him. I think the first time I saw him was playing with. I feel like he was playing in Naraxis. Uh, when I saw them open for Cannibal Corpse years ago wow. at, in Memphis at the New Daisy Theater. No, I'm sorry, not Naraxis. Unmerciful was who he was playing for. He was playing guitar for them at that time. Wow. Uh, so that was the first time I'd seen him. And I, you know, I didn't know it was the same guy when he joined the band. Um, but yeah, it was, you had a change in lineup, which always throws a little bit of, uh, kind of pushes the band to do a little bit more, as we saw with, uh, the humanure record, and as we saw with uh, the harvest floor itself, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you've got Josh Elmore returning. You know, he's he's not leaving. You have Dave McGraw's second record with the band, so you know you've got more Gravity Blast and all of that all over the record. Which it definitely feels like those Gravity roles fit a lot more with some of the direction they're going on this record and the the next record uh, than maybe they did with the last one. Um, but Derek's this is Derek's first album with the band he is a finger style player which you know uh, a lot of people like to debate you know what's better one or the other it's two different things it's a dip, tone, tonally different things it depends what you're most comfortable with um, I have recorded with the guys that said oh yeah this type of music has to be played with a pick or this type of music has to be played with fingers uh, and it's like hey I mean you're wrong but we're paying <laughs> you so I'm going to do what I want because we're yeah. paying you Um so this is how it works. So um, he's definitely heard on this record. He's running a little bit of a cleaner signal, I think. And there's definitely a couple bass breaks on the record. Oh, um, yeah. You know, namely, um, the one that sticks out to me the most is, um, oh, man. Force gender reassignment has the bass break before the big slam part. And then I believe it is on Dead Set on Suicide. There's a quick bass break. Uh, I believe that is correct. Yeah, they have like some sort of, I mean, 
I love that uh, you can really hear it. I, I yep. love they kind of have those parts where he's just able to kind of do a quick little run, yep. uh, a quick little bass line. It sounds sounds wonderful. And even on the following record, there's some definitely some really cool bass lines yeah. uh, that follow. We'll, we'll touch on that one with that record because that thing is... Um, Otero's productions are always really well, but it was almost like he just stepped it up with that next record. That thing sounds That thing sounds like a tank rolling over your feet. What I love about doing research for these two albums in particular is that they are more modern, so it's typically easier to find maybe some interviews online right. as well as video content. Um, the thing I also love about Metal Blade Records is that they often, or at least over the past like 10 years or so, have like a behind-the-scenes video mm-hmm. compilation of their various uh, you know, bands you could watch like a ton of videos uh, featuring Cannibal Corpse, you know, recording with Eric Rutan. Uh, and then, so I feel like maybe this is the first time they're kind of doing that with um, cattle decapitation. So they have like videos of them out in Colorado in the yep. snow. Uh, they are recording in like the dead of winter. It's like January, February. Um, and it's, it looks miserable outside. Hey. We're we're real bored. We've been in the studio for a while. Let's go step out in like negative four. Just just because change of pace. You know, sun's out, but yeah, we're dying. They're doing interviews and you could tell they're kind of standing outside, just kind of moving yep. around as they're trying to give like a, you know, poignant answer to the question or something. But um I love I love that. I love being able to see what uh maybe, you know, what the conditions or what the, the setting was like. Some of the yep. you know, you kind of see some of the later videos uh, chronicling the recording for like Terrasite. And then you go back in time and look at this like very small little space, uh, you know, attempting to correct, uh, attempting to record their, their first record with, with Dave. So with this record, uh, Dave's studio, of course, as we mentioned is in Colorado, Mm -hmm. Uh, flatline audio. It's in Westminster. Um, this kind of allows for uh, a ton of guests to come through as well. As oh we mentioned. my God. So Fallen Carnage uh, is on the first track. I love the name that they chose for it. Oh, oh, it's great. Uh, I have to get this out. I have to get this out because one, the, the title, the Cephalic the, the Carnage Community Men's Choir, yeah. which to me, I'm sure it's not, but is very much a throwback to the, uh, the typo records. Where like oh, there would yeah. always be a choir and it was the Benson Hoist lesbian choir or something like that. <laughs> um, but I don't know if you've ever heard this because we've never really talked about Cephalic Carnage. No. Um, but they've got two really, really great records that uh, came out on Metal Blade Records. Um, one being the Xeno Sapien record and the other one being I- I'm going to butcher it. Hopefully I can get it right. Misled by Certainty. Um, those were both produced by David Taro, but they're known as Rocky Mountain Hydro Grind, which is hilarious because it mainly just alludes to the fact of like these guys are high all the time. Great, fun, weird band. That John Denver's full of shit, man. <laughs> uh, I suppose with that in mind, we should just get into some of the track list here. Mm-hmm. The first song, The Carbon Stampede, is a motherfucker i love this song so much what a great start to this record you got some quick kind of atmosphere uh happening and then maybe one of my favorite riffs on the record is basically just a hardcore riff it's a it's it sounds like a hardcore riff 
followed by a bass break, which we kind of mentioned. Yep. Um, there's uh, dissonant guitar chords and and sweeping. Uh, Josh Elmore's right hand is just yep. chef's kiss, man. It's all over this record. So with this with this record that we didn't necessarily have with the maybe the um, the records prior is there's no intro. It just yeah, I mean, it's, it's just kind of, yeah. there's a little bit of atmosphere to kind of like start it, but there's not like a human or, or yeah. you know, some of the older records or what you would get in the future. But yeah, for the most part, it's just kind of like a quick little yep. atmospheric thing. I think even the following record has a little bit more, uh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. that ties into the artwork. But with this one, pretty simple, pretty straightforward, just a little ambience to kind of start the record. And you hear the opening kind of muted chords of the of the carbon stampede and it's big sounding even through like i don't know i don't know how you primarily listen to stuff but i know i'll typically listen to it one of three ways which is either uh through a bose speaker uh some noise canceling headphones and usually the last option is the car um but i get the i listen to it in those three ways because i can hear it differently each time and the weight of the production and how the guitars are layered and how it's all moving in just it just sounds like a sledgehammer coming through the speakers. Yeah, it's so strong. It's such a great way to open a record. Um, like I mentioned, that hardcore riff, I think they kind of play some variations on it throughout the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Gravity Blast. This song is full of them. <laughs> uh, they have this one little part, too, that I always found very interesting that kind of, it sounds like demubor gear or like cradle of filth it's like this weird little keyboard part it doesn't last longer than like a bar or two or something like that but it's wonderful so it is and it may be it may be keyboards but i know josh during this period was using a pog synth pedal Mm. for like kind of thickening the sound up a little bit it could very well have been that as well yeah i wonder if um because i know some of the members i think they play some of the members do play like keyboard on Mm -hmm. Uh, some later songs, like I right. want to say Derek plays keyboard on the monolith. Um, there's obviously uh, some other um, instrumentation that they do outside of, you know, what they're known for on the record. Like, yep. you know, Travis himself does like electronics. Uh, atmospherics is what it's credited on the record, even some drumming. But yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of kind of a weird sound, but it definitely kind of gave me that that vibe that like almost I don't know how you would like symphonic kind of but it's like a quick little ditty it's yep. not very long it's just kind of thrown in there um but it's it, it's such a culmination of all of these different influences and um sounds that the various members of the band are into and of course then we have the uh just gang vocal heavy kind of outro to the song which as we mentioned features members of uh cephalic carnage including some older members of the yep. band uh josh mullen and zach joe uh and then uh, members of I think all the members of Cattle Decapitation are also doing vocals in the studio, which you can see in that video behind the scenes. Yes. Just a bunch of smelly metal dudes in a in a little room just yelling into a microphone, just cutting up. Hey man, if you need stuff done in the studio and you got to save some money, who else is there to call but your buddies? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we've got a little bit of a budget. We don't really want to like layer all of our voices. The guys in Cephalic are up the street. Like. <laughs> Let's just get them in here. I recorded them last week. I'm sure they'll come down. We have the next song, Dead Set on Suicide, which... Great track. I, I, you know, has 
blood it started, curdling. It kind of just a lot of these songs really just transition into one yep. another. There's not really a point, maybe until like later in the record. For most of it, it is just like full speed ahead. Uh, it kind of just goes one into the other, and so yep. you kind of have that Dave McGraw drum fill to kind of take us right into it, and then. You mentioned a bass break. There definitely is. It kind of remind. It was very reminiscent of like yep. a hammer smash face kind of like little. I mean, it's um, it's quick. Very unsettling sample as well in this. So song. that is that is a real sample. That is oh, a great. real another one. That is that's real. Um, on on this record, on this one in particular, that is a real audio sample of someone hanging. That is a legitimate sample. I don't know where it came from, but everything I've researched on this record was, oh yeah, that's real. That's what was the other one that uh, they did that on? It was, uh, was it homivore or was it another? Um... Oh, so it's testicular manslaughter. That's yeah. another sample yeah, yeah. of somebody actually being decapitated. Oh, Jesus Christ. Hey man, it's all fun and games. <laughs> so this this album is just full of I mean, this song in particular is chaotic. <laughs> I mean, yeah. once that bass break kicks in, it's just gravity blast and just a wall of sound kicking. There's in. one there's like one riff in particular where it just feels like it's stomping, like you're just like a world crumbling just riff that just keeps punching and punching. Uh definitely stuck out on this. You also mentioned earlier to start the episode, there was more of like a like a hard rock influence, perhaps. Absolutely. I feel like you hear that a lot on, uh, especially on these two records in particular that we're mm-hmm. discussing today. Josh Elmore's solo, uh, his his soloing feels very much, there's obviously the technicality to it. There's yep. even all of the weird little techniques that he throws in there, all the little details. But I also feel like we've always discussed singable solos and it has more of a kind of like hard rock kind of yeah. um it's got a quality uh, way sure. about it for sure. Yeah. Like it just doesn't, it feels like, all right, I know I can play all the sweeps and all the, the, the scales, but there is a kind of rock kind of more like hooky kind of yep. catchiness to uh, the solos that he's kind of picking out. All the notes make sense in that way, I guess. It sounds like everything was very well crafted on this record, but nothing was overthought, which typically, typically leads to, better crafted songs in um in in my experience mm-hmm. uh, so maybe that was the approach was hey play from the gut don't play from the brain you know play from the gut and just kind of shoot from the hip and maybe that's what like you know having a different producer helped with that of like hey man like you guys have written all this really great stuff um you know shoot from the hip let's see what you got let's let's do it this that part doesn't need a hyper you know, sweepable solo that, you know, sounds like dissenting into one of the, one of Dante's like pits, um, you know, go through, like use your, you know, use your formal influences that you had growing up and let's just see what you got. And you definitely get that on this record on a few songs Yeah, in that. Um, but this one in particular, you, I mean, you definitely get it. This is dead set on suicide is an unsettling song. Sample aside, it's intense. Um, you know, it's you can definitely get a feel on this record just from the first two songs of all right, this album sounds almost the polar opposite to the harvest floor, but you still get a couple little tidbits here and there where it goes, Oh yeah, that's still happening. You know, those just chaotic 
just wild parts are still happening, albeit it's there's more focus on, you know, these great just moshable parts. Yeah. There's more focus on hooks. There's more focus on, you know, song structures, verse, course, verse, like that sort of thing. The old, the old uh, facade. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, there is, I stick to that. There's definitely some old school metal, probably. I, one of these dudes was listening to Accept at some point. <laughs> uh, there's some old school metal influence on this. It's just, it's just flavored with blast beats and like some of the, best vocals you could get on a death metal record we're gonna touch further on that for sure absolutely even this next song you mentioned oh uh, man some of the influences like yeah there i definitely know that there's like a traditional kind of metal influence on this record but there's also like a ton of black metal influence on yes. this record as well especially with this next song so a living breathing piece of defecating meat is the next track mm-hmm. and before we get into the the bulk of the song the riff that leads into the chorus, that that slide in uh, riff that has like this kind of blackened chord progression on it, but it ultimately just sounds like bar chords, and it's yeah. it's crazy, and it leads into this wild hook that's these like tremolo pick double kicked parts under it, and it's just this great melody of like it could only work in this style of music to have a, have your melody line be a living, breathing piece of defecating. <laughs> it, it could only work in, in like death metal or extreme metal of some sort. Uh, I mean, this song starts out with blast beats. I mean, is that chorus melodic? Yeah. In a very atonal way, it's melodic. It for sure is melodic. It's melodic. Like, um, you know, some black Dahlia murder, like, choruses are melodic it's it's definitely more of a okay we're going to add this tuneful pitch to these vocals and let's do this and i mean you you mentioned like black metal like there's a lot of black metal inspired stuff on this record um and and one one honestly in the next song we're going to talk about um but i mean this thing this is the first instance of what you're going to get from the later era of this band. This is where those melodic vocals kick in, uh, those tuneful vocals, and you'd see a lot more of that on Death Atlas and Terracite, but you also see a load of it on the next album, which is the Anthropocene Extinction. Um, You know, you've got guest vocals from Leonard Leal of Cephalic Carnage, who is the the lead singer of Cephalic Carnage, who has his own kind of like, wild vocal style as well. Um, I mean, they had a cephalic carnage has a track called black metal Sabbath and they all wear these dumb masks when they do it. So like this very tongue in cheek when it comes to that, but like a very great, like death grind kind of, kind of vocal styling. Um, this track again, another great track for this record. Um, and since, uh, this was your first introduction to the band, I'm going to let you take, the headway on this next track because I I want to know one was that the first track you ever heard from the band and two what was your initial initial response to seeing that video so I kind of mentioned this in the last video I had a friend uh, who is no longer with us unfortunately um, his name is Nick uh, and you know you're in school and you do dumb things and you know you are looking to do things, you do things that you know you shouldn't be doing or looking at. And so 
when this video came out, I was kind of in this similar vein where, hey, I know you like metal. I think you would like this band, but you have to see this video. It's just fucked up. And um, I am, of course, talking about forced gender reassignment. um, And, you know, much of my history with death metal has played out in a similar way where something is being shown to me for the shock factor or perhaps through someone who you know, like Cannibal Corpse, I remember someone showed it to me because Hammer Smash Face. Like, right. what a ridiculous song title. That is like, it's it's funny, right? And I'm like, well, I kind of like, I kind of like it. And so I <laughs> kept listening to death metal through that. It was just, uh, but this was kind of shown to me in a very similar way. Wow, this is so shocking. You have to, you have to watch it. Right. Let's watch it together. And so the video that came out for the song was so graphic and so obscene that you could not watch it on YouTube. You couldn't even watch it on Vimeo. So you had to go to a like a horror news site, Bloody, Bloody Disgusting, Disgusting, in order yeah. to watch it. And it is seared, seared into my brain. Um, of course, uh, the band uh, had hired Mitch Massey uh, to make a series of videos. Uh, he did one for Kingdom of Tyrants, which has mm-hmm. like kind of a nine-minute, it's like a nine-minute mini film. It's very much reminiscent of like Ridley Scott. And- yeah. There's a tool kind of video vibe there. Yep. Um, very reminiscent to um, there was a, there was a stop motion movie that came out a couple years ago called mad, mad God. Oh, I still uh, need to see that. Damn. Man, it is very reminiscent of that. When I watched that, I was like, Oh, this is the kingdom of tyrants video. It's very unsettling. Yeah. It's like the um, same guy who did the special effects for Jurassic park and whatnot. Yes. He, star Wars, all sorts yeah. of stuff. Um, but I, I kind of want to touch on, you know, you mentioned the video, you know, it was a shocking thing. And then the early to like mid two thousands, that was a big deal. I have seen some terrible shit on the internet as well as you have. <laughs> uh, I have seen, uh, one man, one jar. I've seen the Mr. Hands video. Like I've seen all <laughs> sorts of stuff. So I will say this though. This got pulled from YouTube and video or Vimeo almost immediately. Now, in 2000 and maybe 13, I remember logging on to YouTube and seeing something like, oh, a Serbian film. What is that? Some oh, no. monster had put a Serbian film on YouTube and I watched the whole thing. Oh, but yet boy. I couldn't watch this video in there. There are things that will never leave my brain. This video doesn't do shit to me but seeing that did but yet youtube there's there's kind of a middle ground there i guess um but back back to the more important part of this song yeah i mean it's essentially an ode i learned to the uh infamous westboro baptist church uh who can get fucked uh but you know you're basically doing an act to a group of people (laughs) who are uh very uh, ignorant and very, um, yeah, just, I don't even want to spend time talking about them, but yeah, obviously you can't really talk about the song without talking about the video. I think they even had a shirt at one point that featured like a still from the video on it. Like you could get a shirt with the, uh, not safe for work, basically, uh, images on the thing. If you're walking around with that shirt, 
I don't even know. I mean, we know we have a friend who owned the full of hell, you know, freaking oh, uh, Chris man. Farley shirt at one point and would just walk to the grocery store with it with his child. Yeah. even thinking twice God, about it. That's but such a terrible shirt. I just couldn't imagine somebody definitely bought it for sure. But oh, I'm I'm sure they sold out of it every tour stop. The the song itself, though, I mean, it's a it's a slam riff. Yeah, uh, there's a really great uh, bass break. And I mean, the tone's impeccable on the bass. Um, and then there's like, of course, some black metal high vocals, as well as some uh, dissonant black metal chords on this via Josh Elmore. So at that point, I don't know how familiar you are with the video. I watched the video probably multiple times because I just sure. had to show it to everybody. Yeah. And I distinctly remember sitting at the, um, at Cas- or was it Castle Punkenstein? I remember sitting oh, yeah. there on, on the couch in the living room. Uh, Will is sitting next to me, our friend Will Cronenberger. Here's Shout our out. obligatory Justin Swindle story. Um, <laughs> Will Cronenberger sitting next to me, and I can't remember who's sitting to my left. And like, I was like, oh, everyone's just got to see this. Everyone's having a good time. Click. <laughs> Here's what we got to see. But at the point when the video gets the most extreme, that's when that black metal part kicks in and those high vocals soar. Basically, when the any becomes an Audi, like that's when the the black metal part kicks in in the video. Sure, uh, and it's like it's jarring. The song itself is jarring with the the added perspective of a video going with it. I know the idea wasn't just to be a shock factor, but it was like, hey, here's this really fucked up group that deserves to catch as much shit as possible for who they are and what they support. Let's just like, yeah. Let's have this really grotesque song. Let's also make this really grotesque video that just meshes really well with it. There was no shock factor. It was like, here is, you know, here's five fingers make a fist. That's essentially <laughs> what it is. Um, I mean, it's if there's one more, most memorable track on this album, just for a lot of reasons, not maybe just the melodies or anything. It's probably this one. Um you know, when most people think of cattle decapitation or if anybody thought of cattle decapitation, uh, this track's probably going to come up top five, I would yeah. say, of like things to listen to just initially. Um, it's a hell of a track. I mean, it's a great, it's catchy. It's catchy in the right spots. You know, you've got musicality in there that adds to the impact of the song. The whole ending portion of the song is just a slam with deeper and deeper vocals. He his range on this record in, in, in general is just so, you know, obviously we heard a little bit of what was possible on the previous record. Mm-hmm. Now you have some time to kind of uh, work on that and hone those kind of higher pitch vocals in, and they really come through and shine on this record in particular. Um, the next song, perhaps oh, the first uh, Cal Decapitation love song. Uh, I love the title of this track so much. Gristle liquor. Gristle liquor. Gristle liquor. Um, Travis basically wrote it to prove that he could write a, a love song. Uh, and it just kind of deals with uh, people's love for flesh. So this is the track that starts out with the weird drum pattern with the phaser over it, yeah. right? Yep. Um, and it's got that wild guitar line playing over it. That's very much like this weird hammer on pull off kind of riff. Yeah, it kind of sounds. I know in the behind the scene um, video for the for the album. He kind of Josh shows a little bit of his pedal board that he's mm-hmm. working with at the time. And I maybe it's the uh, Digitech whammy. Like, I think you have some like octave capability. With oh, I'm that sure. Pedal. Yeah. So it sounds like some of that's going on. 
Um, I'm not, I can't be too sure, but yeah, anything to kind of fill out the sound in a band with, um, uh, you know, just essentially three members and, and a vocalist, like, yeah, you got to do what you got to do with that. Cause I mean, there's even points on the record where you hear like a chord ring out and you can hear a really low tone under it. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it's the whammy pedal just like shifted down an octave or something. Um, this has, this is a wild track. This is, this yeah. is probably the closest to that kind of prior period of cattle on the whole record. Right. Um, this has a lot of that just chaotic shit everywhere. Weird notes popping out. Um, I mean, this is that song um, that there's there's a part in this song that's a throwback to one of the Harvest Floor tracks, which is that really fast gallop chugged part with the vocals kicking in. And it's like, that is, that's absolutely insane. Synced up and it it it's so effective. There's there's a lyric line in here that I'm sure and it's towards the tail end of the song and that's how I I understood it was a love song but it's something along the lines of like something comes out of my asshole I feel like <laughs> is what he says I'm sure that's not it but it is interpreted that way and it's like perfect I love it there's some great uh, the, the lines on this record the one in particular that makes me think it's in the chorus cuz it's and it's repeated uh, a little bit throughout the song I am become death the destroyer yes. of all or sometimes it's the destroyer of humans uh, yep. and it's it's so hateful. It is just so entirely hateful. This song also kind of uh, ends uh, with some like unsettling uh, ambience as it transitions into our next song, uh, oh. Projectile Ovulation. Man, this is this is probably my favorite song on the record. Yes. Um, okay. I have I have made many an Instagram video of me cooking food with the gurgle part of this song playing <laughs> because this is such a rad fucking track um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, I mean, you've got, I can hear the song kick in in my head and it's just like, it kicks in. Dun, 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 dun. It just kicks right the fuck in. And not only is it just a balls ass heavy track, but you've got uh, a former vocalist of the Texas-based slam band Devourment on it. Mike Majewski, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Um, and there's a point where their vocals kick in and his come in first. And they're already this like illegible sound. But what when you really listen to it, you can actually hear him trading back and forth with Travis doing this low parts. Then there's one part where they're actually layered on top of each other. And it's the most obnoxious, just like alien pig sounding thing you can even imagine go hogs woo um <laughs> and it's like god I, like i love this track the title is fantastic you know it makes me purely think of like what if the animals fought back and like i just picture like a fleet of bovine at like a slaughterhouse just like all right motherfuckers like oh you want to stick that in me like here's i'm going to fire one back at you here's what we got it's like when good when good cops go bad, damn. Um, <laughs> like this track is just this is where it goes off the rails with me. When I heard those vocals like layered like that for the first time, I went, "All right, it's done. Nothing can be <laughs> nothing can like out like gurgle this or like frog noise this. Like this is beautiful." The the next track in particular is a pretty standout song for me on the record. Man, uh, Livestalker, Livestalker. Um, it has all of that black metal influence on it. Um, There's that one point where he just straight up sounds like he's spitting into the mic, which 
I did see in some behind the scene things. I don't know if it's for this track in particular. The water. The water. He's basically hovering over like That's a for the pile last of record. his yeah. a pile of his laundry, and he's just spitting, uh, <laughs> you know, by the mic. Um, but it de- definitely sounds like he's you know that blah, like yeah, it, it's coming like just directly from the back of his throat. Um, you have some uh, black metal chords, which kind of have a bit of a groove to them as yes. well. Um, and it all transitions through this bass line into this very huge, epic sounding uh, chorus and solo. There's it's just massive sounding. Very post-metal-esque. Very like Isis, Neurosis. Yes. Very big and bombastic even part there. That is the the first, you know, there's definitely aspects of this record that you see on Terracite and Death Atlas. This is the first instance of like, oh shit, this band could go to the directions we did see with Death Atlas and Terracite. And that's the moment. Like the melodic vocals coming in. Yep, you get that on every record. But this is the first time you hear this like, oh, here's this thing that this band could do. They're not just like a brutal death metal band. You have a few more moments on this on the record. Uh, getting into a few more tracks, you know, do not resuscitate. Uh, your disposal. On other, that's probably my favorite track on the record, as I mentioned. This is the I once. Don't, I don't want to gloss over do not resuscitate oh, um, too much. That is probably, I think that track gets kind of buried just because there's so much going on in all the other tracks. This is probably the most straightforward track on the whole record. Um, it is, it's really fun. I mean, it is definitely a just kind of died in the wool, just really fucking heavy grind song with a lot of hardcore aspects to it. Um, I mean, more bass breaks in the song. Like, this, it's a rad song. It gets a little buried because of where it falls in the record because it's literally falling before the last three tracks, which yeah. are, in my opinion, probably some of the better tracks on the whole record. I agree. Absolutely. The, the next track definitely stands as my favorite. Man. Your Disposal. It's the one track on the entire album, uh, from what I understand, to not have any lyrics by the time they entered in the studio. Travis had no lyrics for the song and basically had to write it uh, during the recording process. Um, you kind of have a return to the higher pitched vocal chorus we heard on Life Stalker. Yep. And then you have a, like a really amazing black metal breakdown, um, which, you know, when you hear it the first time, it kind of it, it switches so abruptly. Yep. But I think it's not like out of it's not out of place when you hear it. It's just kind of a testament testament to this band, their ability to kind of uh, switch on a dime and just kind of go down a path of like, here's a completely other influence on this song. It makes sense. Uh, you know, it's it, it fits so smoothly and then cut back to kind of the more death metal death grind that they're yep. known for on this song. You know, this is you touched on it in one of the earlier tracks. Uh, probably from the Carbon Stampede to Dead Set on Suicide, um, the tracks transition really well into the next one. It's not just like tracks over, next track. It's they flow. There's a really good flow to this. And this song in particular feels like if there would, you know, now this would have been the track released as a single. Yeah. Um, oh, no, no kidding. Because it has the catchiest chorus on the whole album. The absolutely... Uh, catchiest course like yeah it's arguable that a living breathing piece of defecating meat could have done that but the lyrics to that are just so like okay you know they're 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 talking we get it the human race is bad like all understood but yep. this one could have this track can almost be you know 
uh, interpreted by a, ve- a wider audience for you know multiple things. I may interpret the song differently than you would, and you know John Smith and like Mary Joe Who's It may like accept it as something else. You know, this could be there more than a feeling or something, you know, <laughs> going back to high school underneath the bleachers, you know, you know, what goes on like, yeah, I'm getting pushed off the bleachers eh, like that kind of thing. Um, you all right, bud? No, never. All right. Good. Never, never. I'm good. Um, ah, damn trauma. Um, um I like the thing you, you brought up about the transition, though, where uh, it most of the, the record does kind of either there's like a fill that carries it into the next yep. track or it's just kind of, all right, done on to the next one. Let's go. It's, it's kind of nonstop. Whereas this riff kind of almost just fades off. Like it's pl- being played forever. Yep. It, it could go on forever. Probably still. Some say it's still being played to this very day, <laughs> but uh, it kind of fades out and transitions into this, uh, another kind of like atmospheric uh, kind of uh, more unsettling yeah. Um, noise track on the monolith. Here we go. When you go in there, everything just sounds so big and weighty. There's like a fire burning, maybe somebody digging and maybe it's raining. I'm not really sure, but it, it kind of feels reminiscent of what would be um, kind of included on, uh, on records like Death Atlas. There's like that like long form video. It kind of, it just, it, it feels like a, a, a statement that will be kind of used again on on uh kind of uh, pre- preceding records uh you mentioned neurosis it, it feels like a neurosis track it it does it's very post metal very post rock um very uh depressing kind of black metal aspect of that um it's very reminiscent of the last of the tracks from the harvest floor uh which i can't remember the name of the track that leads into regret in the grave but it's the jarbo track with all of the choral vocal arrangements and everything, this very bleak sounding um, almost setup for what will become one of the most obnoxiously heavy tracks on the whole album. And man, does the monolith set up for this monster, which is kingdom of tyrants. Um, this thing has that great Epic video. We alluded to earlier mm-hmm. to it. Uh, but man, this thing starts out aggressive and it doesn't let up. Uh, it's bleak. The video matches the um, the atmosphere of the song. I mean, it is, I, I you know, as you touched on big riffs, big vibes, uh, and just massively epic. I know that word gets used a lot when it comes to like these big sounding you know songs, but it it very much is an epic track. Yeah, no, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I mean, it really is just kind of a. Like you said, it's an end statement. It's a culmination yep. of everything you've heard on the record uh, from from the moment you turn it on to the 43 minutes in. This is like, here's everything we got done. It's yeah. over. Um, this is a kind of a standout track to me in that you essentially have a song to end the record that's written by a new member, the bass player, mm-hmm. Derek, as well as Travis, who's more or less really responsible for the lyrical uh, content and the melody. but I think he also had uh, a few riffs lying around that he would, you know, lend to this track as well. So that's kind of a, uh, a neat little tidbit there. Um, definitely some black metal high vocals on this as well. Um, it's just a strong way to end the record. It really is. I mean, that's, I will give this band all the credit in the world for how they structure their records and how they, how they're um, paced and how uh, the songs are placed on the record. Um, 
But what they do really well is they end the records really well. And I think since the Harvest Floor, each record has had this great ending that almost alludes to the record of what's to come. Um, and it just keeps going with that. Even Terrasite uh, kind of ends that way with who knows yep. what we're going to get with the next go around with this band. I mean, you just sat through 43 minutes, 44, 45 minutes of some of the most intense death metal that became a classic record uh, that became a really big record for the band. I mean, essentially like a, a second career really yeah, for the yeah, band. Yeah, second wind. Uh, yep. I believe Travis described it as the his band caught a second wind with this album. Um, and you just went through that whole 45-minute period and you get to the last track and it's here's the culmination of everything on the record. This is a pure this is the uh kind of crowning achievement of this record is this song. Um and man, it it doesn't let up. It doesn't. It this song ends the way it begins. Um and it is it's nuts. I mean, they did great things with this album. Um, they toured, they toured, they toured their asses off. Um, you know, it just, it, it's bonkers to think that a band that already was really good uh, and had already put out these just really great death grind records and death metal records could come out and go, all right, we're just going to completely, you know, do a 180 and we're going to put out something that, if you guys like it, great, but we're doing it just for us. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to forget about it because typically we like to add in that uh, if a band's got like bonus tracks or B-sides or anything, but this one's got a pretty cool bonus track to it. Yeah, it actually appeared uh, initially only on the Japanese edition of the record, an, exp- uh, an exposition of insides. Mm-hmm. And so you essentially have the album. I think the song probably later appeared on YouTube. And so then you get a bunch of fans going, wait, I've never heard this song before. What's right. going on? Like, where, where was this? And so I think there was just an influx of fans who were kind of, how can I get this song? How can I own it? And so then I want to say Cattle essentially would release um, a kind of seven inch single version of Your Disposal uh, in the summer of 2013 with this song as the B-side. Um, it's fine. It's a, it's a great track. It's yep. very straightforward. Uh, kind of gives me like human remains vibes with some of like the weird guitar playing as well. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna use that probably to death throughout uh, the rest of uh, us doing this show. But I just I love human remains, and so if you're weird, you just did you're just human remains to me. I guess yep, yep. <laughs> uh, you you are human remains. Um, there was the uh, there was the compilation that came out a few years ago called Medium Rarities. That's that right. I'm pretty certain this track was on as well. Yeah, that if it, it was like 2018, it features like demos and yeah, yeah, like you said, rarities and whatnot. And so this this song does make an appearance on on that comp. Um, it's good. I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know where this would have been placed in the sequencing of the record yeah. had it come out. Um, if it was just at the end, I feel like it would be kind of uh, it seems yeah. kind of weird that Take, you know, takes you, away from the the impact of the full record. So I'm sure it would have been a little different, but. Um, yeah, I, I would say that it's cool to have if you have the seven yep. inch or if you have the comp, uh, obviously I always love a little extra things to kind of dive in with this band. But as far as the record stands with its 43 minute runtime, the songs that are on there, yep. I think it's perfect. Um, we have to talk about the artwork, of course. So again, returning Wes Ben Scotter, of course. uh, you know, at this point in the band's career, he's the fifth or sixth member. Yep. Um, you know, this is. 
obviously like the artwork is very striking on this yep. record, even more so than the albums that came before it. I mean, you've got that ape humanoid hybrid on the front, like with, I believe his scalp is ripped. Yeah. Uh, his clothes are ripped. You've got the monolith behind him. You've got, I even think there's some tie-ins on the backside of the album to the harvest floor. I've heard that as well. I think the, 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 these, I guess the harvest floor and the two records we're talking about today kind of have some like weird little Easter eggs in the artwork, yep. uh, just kind of connecting all three. But yeah, it's like essentially the, the end result of yep. uh, the de-evolution of man, basically saying like, here, if you keep going the way you're going, this is essentially what's going to happen. We, we told you so. You got, y'all fucked up pretty bad. Hey man, this, this band is prophesizing shit and, uh, when we when we touch on Death Atlas, that's going to get real close. Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the the monolith, basically like 2001 yep. Space Odyssey vibes. You can't really uh, can't really shy away from that. But um, yeah, I mean, this band it has a strong stance. I mean, obviously, we're, you know, polluting our environment. Uh, we're we're, you know, there's overconsumption uh, and lack of environmental awareness. Like people just don't care we'll just do whatever yep people don't give a shit and then you got bands like this that are like we know you don't give a shit we're gonna make fun of you we're gonna give you shit and to think this is uh this is an 11 year old album almost 12 year old record people still don't give shit yeah about it but uh i'm glad we still get records kind Uh, of ripping those people apart so i I am i am so glad that there is a subgenre of music that just goes like ah, those people we don't like ah, we're gonna rip their heads off (laughs) you know we're gonna let apes eat them that kind of thing um speaking of art uh on this record as well i love obviously the west ben's cotter album artwork i love uh, even the albums that came uh, after it but one thing in particular that really stood out to me about this record in particular was they uh they kind of Got the talents of Tom Bunk. Now, if you are not familiar with Tom Bunk, uh, he is best known for his work with the Garbage Pail Kids during the eighties. Uh, Did he do the movie? The, That's all I need to know. I don't. I, I would think. Oh, I don't think many man. of those people because I, I don't think that transitioned well from you know the actual uh, original IP to the you know it's like a lot, all those movies that kind of have like blankety blank the movie or so and so the movie they usually sucked ass. Oh like, my god. <laughs> Uh, but you essentially did get uh, the guy who made a good bit yeah. of the the trading cards, probably known for creating some of the artwork with some of those disgusting children on the cover. He also worked for Mad Magazine. And so what they essentially did was hired him to create artwork for each individual member. I think there's even like a uh, an extra little tinfoil card. But you have like five trading cards that came with the album, def- depending on like the pre-order you got. Mm-hmm. It also came with the T-shirt. But yeah, it's... And then I think you get it in like a uh, like a special cattle decapitation recycling bin, which is amazing. I would I would love to like see those cards show up again. Just like Mm -hmm. someone just like has them in their collections. Like, hey, I want to see this stuff because, you know, uh, I don't think many people are like, you know what? I, I could be wrong. I'm sure there's a lot of people like you and I that will hold on to shit like I used. Uh, Dying Fetus came out with a record in 2017 called or 18 called The Wrong One to Fuck With. Yeah. And one of the pre-orders came with a fucking pocket knife that said that on it. 
Yep. I used that till about three weeks ago and it just fell apart. In oh, my hands. no. Hey, wow. And that's like that's a good run. I was like, damn, can I find another one of these? Like, <laughs> I'm just a sucker for ignorant band merch. I think I think Full Hell also had like a pocket knife. Yep. Too, or whatever. I've seen a few bands do like, I, I, you know, I may have been I may have seen a band on tour that did stilettos one time. <laughs> you really? Like, I, I'm pretty certain. Like, I don't know how they were moving those things, but I am pretty certain I saw some like warped band merch. But love it. These guys are clearly fans of really like I'm sure they're fans of horror movies, horror novels, you know, any of the weird 80s like gross stuff, which was very prevalent in that period. I mean, like the Toxic Avenger, trauma films, all that stuff. I'm sure these guys were fans and actually absolutely loved getting that tie in with this record. Um with the garbage pail kids. I mean, yeah. now they're now they're essentially in that universe. No question. When merch is fun, it's great. When merch is dumb and just stupid, like it's the absolute worst. I mean, there's nothing better than like looking at like a Gore t shirt and just going like, God, that is the most ludicrous thing. I gotta have it. <laughs> but then you can look at some other band and you're like, eh, it just looks like a champion hoodie. Like, all right, you know, whatever. Uh, like give give me some give me some ingenuity give me some fun shit. So you have the merch, you mm-hmm. have the physical copies of the record, you have the music videos, you have the record itself, which is just a monster. Uh, what is the reception? What do people think? Well, uh, it, this was obviously very critically acclaimed. We're talking about it today. It sold twenty four thousand copies in the United States during its first week of release. Uh, ended up on a lot of top. Uh, top like record lists of that year i mean um there were like uh, metal sucks used to do like a kind of top records of the year chosen mm-hmm. by different artists um a lot of them picked this record uh dave davidson of revocation uh wretched i think murder contract which i also believe that travis ryan's in as well right? he sure is yeah, uh okay. he was murder construct records were rad that was like pure death grind uh, had a couple of the dudes from Exhumed, um, mm. Intronaut in it, a bunch of like nice. California guys. Um, that Those records are rad. If you've never listened to those in particular, you should check them out. They're real quick records. They may be like 25, 30 minutes tops. They uh, they also toured pretty heavily uh, after sure the release of this year. Uh, they were on the seventh annual Summer Slaughter Tour, uh, which featured other bands like Dillinger Escape Plan, Animals as Leaders, Periphery, Norma Jean, The Ocean, Revocation. Uh, Rings of Saturn uh, and a, a few others, but uh, they also went on a few tours. They were on, uh, we mentioned Dying Fetus mm-hmm. um, and Cerebral Boar. Uh, you know, that, that they were on a, a leg of the tour for that. And then, then you also had the, uh, I guess, infamous uh, Six Feet Under and Wretched tour uh, that they were a part of as well. They, they sure were. Um, I'm just going to say that. Just go online. Look that shit up. I'm not going to dig into it. I don't know enough about it. I remember reading about it. Um, you know, I'm just going to say this. Brian Slagle is probably a very patient man and a very good man. Um, <laughs> he's a very good buddy. He's a very good buddy. Uh, but what's great is you, in experiences like that, when you go on tour, I'm sure you get you take that and you internalize and go, you know what? We're going to move past that and we're just not going to handle ourselves that way. And we're going to move forward and better ourselves from it. And, you know, with we, we talk about the how well this record did, uh, what it did on Billboard. It was their first one of their first albums that hit like the Heat Seekers charts. Uh, I mean, it hit number six on the Heat Seekers album charts. 
But with all of the hype from this record and the uh, success from this record, it helped lead into the next album, which was the Anthropocene Extinction, which uh, I want to touch on. That was the that was the first album by the band that hit the Billboard Top 200. So it shows that Monolith helped push the next record even farther, Um, you know, and it just shows that a a death grind band from California that started out as just like, huh, let's play carcass riffs, you know, could turn into this like, you know, no pun intended, but this monolith of a band that can put out very, very contemporary death metal records from a sub from a subgenre that a lot of people thought had like a glass ceiling. And it's bands like this that prove that that glass ceiling has been shattered many years, many years over. Um, but now we get to sink into the waters of the Anthropocene <laughs> extinction. Yeah. You just love, you just love uh, goofing, man, don't you? If I can, if I can tie a pun into it, you know, shit is going to happen. So yes, a couple years pass by, uh, and then you have this next record, their eighth studio album, the Anthropocene extinction released August 7th, uh, 2015. Damn near 20 years as a band at this point, which again is just such a marvel in itself. All the things that you have just said about, you know, this band essentially starting as kind of a side project and exploding to a chart topping, you know, death grind band from San Diego. Um, It's practically unheard of in extreme music, really. I mean, even in the present day, we're almost, we're we're knocking the door of 30 years at this point. Yeah. uh, And for them to continue to operate and perform at the level uh, with the touring and the recording it's it's such a it's such an amazing thing and it's essentially why we are talking about this band over the course of this multi-episode series on the band but um again i guess i have to ask and i i will start this by saying i do believe by this point we knew each other pretty well yeah i want to say that you i was over at your house and i remember this record coming in the mail when you got it and you opened you are man you got a good memory yeah tell me about it so um this is a weird record for me. Uh, this came out in 2015. Um, so I remember anytime I've always had my phone on me at work mm-hmm. and anytime that a record would come out, we've alluded to this in, in, in different episodes before that anytime a, a record would come out that I would want, um, I would always have a timer set for it. Mm-hmm. So like I would always like check the I'd always like step into the bathroom or something like scroll through and I'd see that and I I jumped on the pre-order for this. I distinctly remember having a timer set for this one. And I also remember when that second Noisome record came out, you and I were like, it's up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I distinctly remember this, but I, the reason this record sits with me so well, and there's probably a reason I didn't listen to this record as much as I did during this period of time was I believe the album pre-orders dropped the day I found out my dad was ill uh, with cancer. So I remember being at work, getting the album and getting the phone call within like 35 minutes. Um, So 2015 was a weird year for me. Um, But this record, uh, when I did finally, it it was months before I got a chance to listen to this record. So I really missed it upon impact. But when I finally went back and listened to it, it was like, I heard the water kick in um, on the, the opening track and it just like, all right, here we go. You know, uh, let's see what this, let's see what this does. Let's see what's going to happen. What I didn't know is it set the precedent of a very dark, bleak, 
heavy record. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the vibe, like I touched on the production for Monolith. Um, that thing hits really hard, but this thing, this thing hits like a megaton. Yeah. Um, it just, it just rolls out. I mean, this, this album rolls out hard. I don't want to get into the tracks just yet because I know we're going to dig into deep or dig in deep with all of those. Uh, but I just remember when I finally got a chance to listen to this, it was like, oh my God, tracks like clandestine way crocodile rot, which is a great joke about the whole crocodile drug coming out. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, what a fucking record. What a great follow-up. Um, I feel like the band was firing on all cylinders with this one. I feel like what they did on Monolith, they just went like, let's do more of that, yeah. but let's add these other elements to it that we have. What do we like about Monolith? Let's take that and and evolve. Let's perfect it. Let's hone it in a little bit. Um, and like you said, you know, they came in prepared. Whereas the last record you know, there were, there was like a song or maybe it's not that they weren't prepared, but there were some things where like, all right, we didn't have this completely written or there were some things right. that we still needed to work out. This was, we were prepared. We were ready to go. We had already had the experience of working with someone like Dave Otero. So we kind of worked out those kinks of like, all right, it's never, it's not really new again. We know how this process works. We're used to it. Let's go back. And now you're able to like, really kind of dive in deep with the dynamics of working together as a band, but also working with a producer who also essentially works, as we mentioned, as like another member of the band. He's not just there kind of making sure the the red light's on. He's also telling you what stinks, how you should maybe arrange certain songs, like maybe don't do this. You know, again, there's that sort of like input being uh, addressed here on this record as well. You, you need a producer that can, that can help you put out and help you create the most, the best product you can, right? It's obvious that even some bands have allowed producers writing credits in a sense. Uh, but you need somebody that's going to go, Hey, I know what you guys are capable of. Let's, let's do this. You know, it's, it's arguable that Bob rock helped Metallica, uh, but he did help them become the biggest band on the planet uh, with the, the album. he he recorded with them and helped put out. Um, but he distinctly said when they approached him about recording post injustice, this was the biggest, the band had ever been. He had said, I, every record you guys have put out does not give you a representation of what you guys do live. And I want a representation, a representation of that. Um, but you need guys like him. You need guys like David Taro that can go, Hey, you know what? That, that part doesn't make sense to be there. Maybe you should play that part for four bars rather than eight. Uh, maybe you should play that riff in a, you should play it in a higher key or you should play it in a lower key, anything like that. Um, you know, just suggestions. He's not saying, ultimately he knows that it's the artist's choice to do whatever they want to do. He's just going, hey, maybe if you do it this way, maybe if you yes. do it this way, just suggestions. There's always another way to do something. And yeah. Kind of with the dynamics, you kind of with the dynamics of the group, you know, these are all very different people. Uh, these are all guys who are into different things, uh, different ages, uh, different backgrounds. Yep. And so you have a lot of different influences. And I, I would imagine that can be kind of difficult to kind of 
work together when you maybe yeah. think it should sound one way or it should sound another way. But I think this band does a really good job, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, Dave kind of uh, has said on record, basically, that they all do a very good job of kind of coming together with their all different tastes and different influences and styles and kind of making it into one unique thing. And, you know, where that that is a great benefit to a band that can also be a detriment as well, because sometimes those uh, resentments can build up. Um, as we see, there's a there's a bit of a lineup shift after this record. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we don't know what went on there. There's no reason to dig into that um, at all because we weren't there. But there, it's obvious that you can have people that have four different viewpoints that can work really well together because you get different perspectives. Mm-hmm. But you can also have a little bit of resentment, a little bit of anguish, a little bit of frustration from something like that uh, from from time to time. Um, but but I digress. What you've got from this album is probably the most black metal influenced record this yeah. band's probably ever done. I mean, uh, it's you might as well it might as well be a black and death grind band at this point on this album. Uh, you've got some oceanic feels on this album, like from the artwork to the way the songs sound to the intro itself. The album artwork again, I really ties into that first song but you're essentially you know you 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 got that record in your hand that first day yeah you see you know essentially just bodies on a beach washed up on the shore with you know plastic kind of man flowing out of the legos (laughs) it does what's that uh cronenberg movie that came out kind of reminded me of uh Oh, which one? I mean, there's shit uh, falling out of people's bodies there, and all of There's them. a recent da- uh, David <laughs> Crimes of the Future? Yeah. Uh, no. Is it Crimes of the Future? Yeah, I think so, right? With uh, Viggo Mortensen? Yeah. 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 So, the, you know, the, everybody's like eating plastic just because we've essentially, mm, mm-hmm. you know, that's fucked it. up our evolution or whatever. And so that that's essentially what we have here is that we've polluted our oceans so much with, uh, you know, garbage that uh you know life forms uh animals kind of mistake it for food and you know they've yep. seen where you know these these uh animals will wash up on shore and they're like oh well now they're decomposing and and you see that they've like eaten plastic and yeah so we're we're destroying the environment that way but of course with the nature of this band you flip the tables and now you have human beings washed up on shore with like coke cans just spilling out of them there's some great tie-in photos on the in, on the inner sleeve of the album of all of the band members like washed up on shore, like dissolving and like breaking down as well. You yeah. know, we're going to touch on Wes Ben Scotter on the back half of this uh, portion, but again, he just hits it out of the park with design, everything. Uh, I, I think between this record and Death Atlas, which we're going to touch on in the uh, the coming episode. Um, on these two albums in particular, Wes Binscotter hit it out of the park with getting the vibe of the record with the artwork matched perfectly. Yep. Not that he did a poor job on any other records that he's done, but for whatever reason, those two in particular just hit it home. You certainly get the feeling of the album artwork on the first song we hear. Manufactured oh Extinct. It's waves crashing. Uh, it's another kind of ambient intro. There's atmosphere. Uh, but it really just kind of transports you to that really grim, bleak cover uh, on the on the uh, on the record. Um, it is another massive start to the record. What a way to start an album with this song! You have just absolutely pummeling chords, uh, just the lowest of the lowest <laughs> death growls yep. on the on the uh, on the song, 
And then you also have a kind of to show that range again, you have a return to form with the melodic highs uh, that you would uh, hear early into the record. So um, really what a, what a strong way to start. He sounds, he being Travis Ryan sounds really good on this opening track. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. Um, the, I mean, you get the waves crashing, you get those big thudding drums and, and all of that just kicking in. And you hear those like twinkly black metal or arpeggiated like notes from a chord, and it's just all right. This is uh, this is Norway, you know, west of uh, San Francisco here. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is it. It is a massive sounding track. We we're going to use that word a lot in this podcast, um, but this is a big, big, big sounding track to open up an album with. Uh, I mean between the death growls that are building into it, uh, the big pummeling sound of the whole song itself. Um, I mean, you've got Josh Elmore, you know, stomping all over this thing too, with like solos and riffs just all over this thing. They were firing on all cylinders on this track. They, they came off a really successful album. Uh, they knew they had to follow it up with something. And it's like, all right, this is, uh, what do we what do we follow it up with? Are are we gonna is it gonna be as good as the last record? Is it gonna be better than the last record? Is it gonna be as is it gonna be the same record? What do we add differently to it? And all of that's cast aside on your first listen to this first track. And you go, Yep, whatever happened on Monolith is still there, but we've got an added element to it. Um you've definitely got more of a blackened vibe to it. And it's all I mean, yeah, it's a death metal band but it is all over that first track. Um, I mean, it, it's just, I mean, it is an unstoppable track. Even the next one, the Prophets of Loss, uh, which also has a music video as well. Yep. Um, and those, that great spoken intro. Who could that be? Well, who you mentioned, that, who could you, that deep you mentioned voice be? A, a little, a little group earlier, uh, kind of another tie in here, but yeah, you have Phil Anselmo of Pantera yep. on, uh, just kind of this like narrated uh, spoken word, uh, a few lines recited on this song in particular. He retches up into a uh, kind of like a blackened thing right at the tail end of it before Travis's vocals kick yep. in too. What a what better if you want to have someone who has that like just gravelly voice to kind yep. of get a point across. You probably uh, aren't doing uh, any. You're probably not doing anything wrong getting Phil on your track, I suppose. Um, definitely more black metal inspired arrangements and vocal styles on this. I felt like I was hearing some uh, Abbott esque like uh, yes. gurgles at times for sure. Oh, yeah. look, and then it's mixed with some more of those uh, melodic high pitched vocals as well. Um, definitely a standout song on the on the track. And then there's like a huge, huge breakdown uh, kind of towards the end of the song yes. as well. Someone in this band really likes goth music or new yep. wave music of some sort because it really shows on this record. It really shows on this record a lot. Um, I mean, there's definitely some some like post-punk. There's definitely some of the, as you've said, the no wave stuff. Like uh, what was what was Johnny Rotten's band after the Sex Pistols? Oh, uh, Public uh, Image Public, Limited? Lim- yeah. Mm-hmm. Like stuff in that vein. Maybe some like Nick Cave, like birthday party um, stuff. Uh, it's on there. Some of these guys listen to that stuff, I'm certain. You'll certainly get some more experimentation on the next song too, like Plagueborn. Oh, Author and Punisher. 
yeah, you it 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 feels like an industrial track, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some programming done by none other than Tristan Schoen. The, the opening is like the the drum machine, the sampler. It's great. Um, if you haven't checked out some of his work, that is some also very bleak, just very abrasive music. Um, I mean, he designs everything himself from you know some of his programming and his uh, instruments that he uses, his tools. Uh, I think he just designs everything in CAD and then like 3D print stuff. So really, really, really cool stuff. And I want to say that I had not heard of author and Punisher by this point, by the, the, by the time this record Mm -hmm. came out. So the, the, the fact that they were kind of hip to what some of the stuff he was doing and got them to play on a record is also super cool. I, I really, really, really like that. You also get some more, you know, I don't know. There's like a dual growl thing they do with yep. some of the mo- at like the deep, deeper, like death metal vocals with the melodic highs. Uh, there's some like it's it's kind of a it's a mostly slower mid pace song. You got some like arpeggiated chords like halfway through. But um, yeah, this is a, this is a cool track, if not alone for just the author and Punisher guest spot there. So the whole album definitely has a little bit more of a mid tempo kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um it definitely feels like it fits the vibe of like this depressing blackened vibe to it. Um, yeah, there's some hyper fast shit on this album, but overall, even that fits into the scope of this very kind of mid tempo kind of feel to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, then you go to what is my favorite track on the ra- the album, which is clandestine ways crocodile rot, which is just a great single. There's a video for the song. Uh, that's that I mean, Elton John track, right? That is that Elton John track. No, uh, b- yeah. <laughs> um, this is a pit track. It, yeah, I mean, if if this band had a pit track, this is it. Uh, I mean, this is the song that, like, I'm sure, like, you know, heads are getting bashed into or anything like that. Um, this is that track on the on the album. I mean, you've got bass breaks in this album. Uh, that's one thing I wanted to touch on is the bass tone on this record has a little bit more distortion on the top end of it, but the bass is extremely audible throughout the whole album, and it adds to the overall mix. Um, This is an extremely well-mixed record. Uh, There's a particular bass part uh, towards the end of the record that I'll definitely Mm -hmm. be getting into, but you're you're not wrong, man. I mean, it's it's audible, it's clear, uh, it's not, you know, uh, it doesn't... uh, divert your attention anywhere but everything is just it's it's there in the mix he, he did a great job uh making sure everyone was heard and everything was just laid right there super well for everyone to hear uh again another track with a great josh elmore solo in it um this is you know he's he's the pitch hitter of the band yeah. uh yeah we can talk about the vocals all we will all day long and we will continue to talk about that but josh deserves to get a lot of credit for taking this band to where it has and becoming the guitar player of this band. Mm -hmm. And I would assume if not the primary songwriter, the, you know, one of the primary songwriters in the group. Uh, And I mean, there's no way you can have some of these tracks that you've got now, like clandestine ways or even uh, plague born without him being in the band. There's no way. Um, Again, there are, there's still on the album, there's still that like old school heavy metal vibe of some of the guitar riffs, but you have that black metal kind of influence all over all of it. And it's 
definitely more second wave black metal than maybe first wave. Uh, it's less Celtic Frost, maybe more Emperor, maybe more uh, you know Immortal in that sense. Uh, and it's it's definitely all over this fucking record. And it just again, you know, we decided to do these two albums together, Monolith and Anthropocene, because they're so close in uh, just sonic scope. But even the songwriting is still very, very, very similar. It's almost a one-two punch. And sometimes I feel like this record gets a little buried because of Monolith being what it is. And then the, the long wait in between Anthropocene and Death Atlas and the way it was released. Um, this one kind of gets buried a little bit. Uh, but man, the songwriting is second to none on this fucking album. It's wonderful. Um, you have another uh track how do you pronounce it i guess in human how would you pronounce it man it's it's like that uh disco volante album by mr bungle right uh circle inhumantis we're gonna say that okay it's like it's like a praying mantis uh <laughs> again another drum fill intro yeah drum fill intro dave mcgraw he's you know really another guy who came in later and really has outdone himself with each record um Great song. Uh, it was pretty straightforward to me. There's a really cool breakdown halfway through. Um, the the interesting part, uh, kind of around this part of the record, is is almost like a transitional, um, you know, instrumental. It's like an ambient, atmospheric track again. Yep. They're a little bit of noise. The burden of seven billion. Um, I, I when I heard it, I thought it sounded like John Carpenter meets the Gargoyles theme. Oh <laughs> wow! Know. Okay, <laughs> it was just like, oh yeah. Um, but Xanatos. It, it kind of brings you know the first and you know I guess second part of the record together to me. I yeah, I could see that because then you really get into you know the final portion of the record, and it is um, or the second half, I should say. You get to the second half of the record, and it's. Uh, same vibes there, but the tracks become far more intense. Yes. Uh, starting with Mam- uh, Mammals in Babylon. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> you know, black metal influence all over this track, really. Um, and this was a, a song in particular where I was like, oh, there's that bass. Yep. There's that bass. I hear you. Um, there's a really cool effect, and they've done this a couple times, especially on later records, where it almost feels like so- like the the sound in the room is being sucked up there's silence and then it just spits right back out <laughs> it's so intense and so uh impactful i love when they do that and i feel like uh you can definitely hear that on a record like death atlas or uh something like that but um again you really have a catchy melodic chorus on this uh there's the the dissonant black metal chords just so weird to it's to say in itself it's like oh it's very catchy but it's also dissonant as fuck yeah yeah it it just shows like you can be catchy and have hooks in you know the most like bleak dissonant sounding music uh i mean you look at what would be a really dissonant band um you know even some of like the mr bungle stuff which is not necessarily dissonant at later periods but the very first record is a dissonant record yeah it's a challenging record i mean it's a challenging record and you can this is far less challenging than that this is just more abrasive Mm -hmm. um and you can still get all of that you can still get that catchiness you can still get hooks you can still get all of that melody over a dissonant melody not everything has to be like a one four five chord uh you know guitar harmony or a guitar melody not everything has to be like four chord rock 
like you can do this and still have these great catchy hooky songs. Yeah. Um, Mutual Assured Destruction. Uh, this is one of my best friends, Will's favorite track on the whole record. Uh, he's a big fan of this record over Monolith because he swears that the lyrical uh, prowess on this record just stomps all over Monolith. Um, I think the lyrics of both are fantastic. Uh, there's a slam riff in this song at the tail end that is just like chef's kiss. It, it oh, is yeah. literally the icing on the cake. It is, I mean... It's the coon dog on the supper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure I don't know is. what that means. I just felt like saying it. <laughs> Someone told me the other day, you're trying to ride two bicycles with one ass. <laughs> <laughs> like, probably, I guess. Is that good? Wait, is it bad? Is that like the monkey in the football bit? I mean, oh, it's got to yeah. be very similar. <laughs> uh, it's, it's damn near close to it. <laughs> you're trying to... <laughs> that's like that thing I heard at work recently and I told you about it um, we're going to segue off to this and I hope we keep this in here uh, I was listening to a podcast and somebody on there insulted a woman by saying she was so ugly she could stop bird shit midair <laughs> and I went to work the next day and some old codger I will not disclose where I work but some old codger was in this room and there was a bunch of other old codgers in there grumbling about something and they saw someone or somebody on TV and said the exact same phrase and I just stopped. Jeez. Like mid-step and went, all right, I got to go. I love that. It's like when you learn a new, you know, they always say when you learn a new word for the first time, it was you hear it maybe always there, but it, you just yeah. now it's it sticks out to you. That's hilarious, but, dude. But back to the task at hand. Uh, mutual sure destruction. Great fucking track. Um, hits all the right points. Moshy, uh, heavy, you know, great song structure. You know, it's it hits the point fucking home. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even the next few tracks, I mean, Not Suitable for Life, uh, Apex Blasphemy. Uh, Another dissonant song. Dissonant, yeah, very catchy. Um, I mean, it's just a, a really... We're kind of building again, right? We're getting yep. to that that crescendo of like all of these different songs. Uh, and then you get into uh, the second to last track on the album. Yep. Uh, Ave Exitum? Or Abe? Sounds, sounds about oh, right. Sure. Why not? Um, again, you get more of that ambience. You get some more waves crashing on the beach. Uh, again, to tie it into the album cover. Uh, and then maybe a first for the band. I'm not familiar. I know we've kind of run through these a few times, but... Uh, acoustic guitar. There's like an acoustic guitar part on this track yeah. in particular. Um, I don't believe uh, out of all of the albums we've done so, thus far, I don't think I've ever heard uh, any layers of acoustic instruments on the on the albums. Did Derek play the acoustic guitar on this track? He may have. I have him uh, listed as doing uh, backing vocals on the Prophets of Loss, mm -hmm. uh, drums and keyboards on uh, the Burden of seven billion but i don't he he may have he, he may he may have done definitely kind of seems more in his realm especially with some of the stuff he did on monolith and, and mm. some of the other tracks on here um yeah i mean we have not heard acoustic guitar we've heard clean guitar sure on a few tracks but this is the first of an acoustic instrument uh yeah this this al this track definitely has the vibe of almost setting up for um 
the showdown, right? Almost setting up for the the final battle of some sort. Um, definitely some, definitely some first wave black metal vibes on this for sure. Very necro sounding stuff. Yeah. You know, all like um, Bathory, um, you know, Celtic Frost, all the all the first wave black metal stuff that we that we remember. Yeah, there was a kind of tied into a, another episode we've done with the Wild Hunt. There's like, mm-hmm. isn't there's a, a song on that particular album where there's almost like a, uh, someone speaking that just sounds kind of weathered and there. It's almost like a, it's just like good storytelling. It oh, feels that's like, that's the song, the Wild Hunt. Yeah, the title yeah. track. Yeah, yep. I, I thought so, and. uh it, it kind of reminded me of that. You just kind of have that very slow uh, stage setting uh, track. And uh, I mean, even the, I mean, from, from that aspect of it, uh, there's some drums on here that just sound huge. There's some yes. like really, really deep kind of reverb on, uh, on that kick drum and, and uh, just the way that's being played, it just makes it sound very huge and, and kind of old, I guess. But, there's definitely the vibe of being on a boat. Yes. Uh, yeah, to tie it in with the water theme. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely a vibe of being on a ship and maybe going to uh, entering into the eye of the storm or, mm-hmm. you know, um, le- leaving shore for the last time or it's the last trip or it's the last trip around the sun, you know, whatever it may be. There's definitely that vibe of being weathered uh, on this. And man, does it does it set you up for um a motherfucker of a track uh i i will say this this is a better ending track than kingdom of tyrants uh, fair enough and that's pacific grim and it is shit <laughs> I, it's it's probably the there's some really strong tracks on this album but they definitely closed out with again with with the fucking slobber knocker to quote jim ross <laughs> uh it's definitely maybe my favorite track on the record uh breakdowns of plenty um, yes. there's a, there's a bass break on the record that sounds nasty as shit. Uh, I love it. It's, it's wonderful. Is that the one that's got the cl- almost like, almost sounds like chords being sustained? Yeah. It's yeah. He, Derek, Derek played his ass off on this record yep. for sure. Um, there's some, some great chugging by Josh Elmore on this, on this particular song as well. Um, we also have a guest vocal, like a guest, Man. maybe spoken word, uh, Jurgen Barched. From Bethlehem. Yeah, not to be confused with the serial killer, apparently. Who have- For those who are fans of black metal that are listening to this, listen to Bethlehem, but make sure you've had a B12 shot. Make sure you've got vitamin D in your system. Make sure it's a nice day out. Man, that's some depressing shit. Uh, <laughs> but it is so fucking good. It has some of the wildest vocals I've ever heard on anything, which is a big influence on Travis. He's just kind of doing a spoken word part. I'm assuming speaking mm-hmm. in German, uh, but it's there. It's a good little little nod, good good little guest appearance, but really a strong ending track. Again, it just culminates into the what the record is about. Uh, and what, how do we fade out on the album again? Uh, with with some more with some more waves with crashing some more down. Waves. Obviously, we touched on some of the reception from this record in particular. Uh, the band's. First album to chart on the U.S. Billboard 200 at number 100. It also appeared on number uh, 44 of the top albums chart as well, uh, which it's just a feat in general. I mean, really, to be a band, as I mentioned, for this long and to be an extreme band at that and make it on the charts, uh, you know, maybe that doesn't mean quite as much to anyone anymore. 
uh, even by this time. But I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it, it's it's no, it's not a feat to ever be swept under the rug. It's something that could definitely happen and can still happen now, but they're just not viewed the same. So what we're going to discuss in the next episode is obviously the difference that four years brings with charts and success and all of that. And it's also going to show the difference of what like album promotion and everything does. And like, we're also going to touch on what touring differences happen, right? Um, Obviously this band toured again, this is a touring band. They may disappear for a few years at a time when they're about to put out a record. But what you don't know is they're one, they're writing because I I have a feeling this band does not ride on the road. This band writes when they get home uh, and probably so they can focus a bit more on what they're writing because these are dense songs. There's not a single song since probably Karma, Bloody Karma that is just like, oh, yeah, we wrote this track. These songs are well thought out and methodical. And the touring on this album definitely uh, definitely hits pretty hard. I mean, you've got uh, another... Another bit of a Phil and Salmo tie in here. You've got King, they did an American tour with King Parrot, who is on Housecore Records, uh, Black Crown Initiate, and Dark Sermon. Both of those bands, I believe, were on uh, they were on E1 Records at the time, which is now Monarch Heavy, which typically puts out Crowbar stuff uh, as well as High on Fire stuff. So those are oh, two. Uh, yeah, that's um, they got uh, they did the latest. Um Oh, geez. Creeping Death record as well. Yep, they sure did. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they absolutely did. Uh, they also did a tour with, uh, you know, let, let's face it. It's the biggest and best death metal band on the planet. Uh, they did a tour with Cannibal Corpse. Yep. Uh, and I'm assuming they shared co, uh, co-opener status with a uh, another great technical band called Surreption, which on Surreption's album from 2018, Travis Ryan does a great guest vocal spot. Uh, on uh, one of the last tracks on the album. And then they did a Southern tour with a, a Florida band called Abiotic. Um, so they did a lot of touring. I believe on the touring cycle for this album might've been their first Australian tour or their first UK tour, because there's a, there's a video kind of blog of them going into uh, England. And I believe they step off the bus and knock one of their scrims straight into like a canal yeah it doesn't start very great i think that's like 2017 um so yeah i definitely uh, maybe we'll get into that a little more on the next episode as well just kind of uh the in between uh from this this record uh the anthropocene extinction going into death atlas and then ultimately our latest record terracite um i love what we've done so far we're we're almost near the end of our very long journey, but uh, what a journey it's been. It's been something. Doing these deep dives really helps you get an understanding of, you know, how a band starts, where a band is at, or how a band ends, you know, whichever uh, different eras. Uh, you can kind of break down this band's catalog into probably three to four different eras. You know, you've got the very first kind of um, very like underground grind DIY side. And then you've got this kind of weirdly technical side. And then you get to this really developed um, atmospheric blackened elements with the two records we talked on today. And then you end up with, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it. We'll touch on it in the Death Atlas uh, Death Atlas portion. But that's the band's black album to me. 
That is the band. That is the band's album that you could put on any single track and go like, fuck, this thing could, I mean, this thing could have been on like, you know, uh, Sirius XM or anything like that. Any track on that album could. And, you know, aside from, thank God they didn't have a nothing else matters on that record. You know, thank, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but it just shows that these deep dives are really fun. Yeah, we've, we've put in a lot of work with these, but it just, it also gives a better appreciation of what we do and why we dig into bands like this, because bands like this deserve to have more recognition. I think, you know, the cannibal corpses, the deaths, the morbid angels, the suffocations are always going to be lauded, but we need to be able to laud the modern bands that are out and not just go, oh, it's not, you know, it's not blessed are the sick. It's not the bleeding. Like, ah, it's not death metal anymore. It's like, come on, man. There are some rad bands out there, and this might be one of the best ones out there. Um, and again, we said this at the last episode. If this band would have ended after the Anthropocene extinction, shit. I mean, what a career. What, what a career, but they decided to keep going. All right, we've reached that part of the episode where we like to recommend some things we've been listening to as of late. Uh, a couple things that I have on uh, my list for this week is the new Gravesend track, the title track from their upcoming record, Guanus Death Stomp, that'll be out through uh, 20 Bucks Spin, perhaps one of the best labels uh, in underground extreme music at the moment, uh, October 27th. I think I saw today that someone compared uh, 20 Bucks Spin as being the A24 of like underground metal labels, which I thought was perfect. I mean, really, though, if if anything kind of like an a24 movie even if it's decent i'm gonna check it out like yeah. i just trust um they what they've got going on over there and usually whatever they put out is worth listening to yeah. i was a really big fan uh of their last record uh methods of human disposal i believe i think i believe that's titled uh, mm-hmm. from 2021 i've said it before i'm pretty sure this band has some ties to magruder grind as well but this is a three-piece kind of blackened death metal project they've uh, released one single already um they kind of came through they did like a small tour with uh, another band called contusion which also features a previous member of uh, magruder grind as well but I'm, I'm really looking forward to this record it's grimy it's gross it uh it's heavy and uh this this newest title track that was released last week uh it's perfect that band always reminds me and for no reason because these bands sound completely different but it makes me think of that Pissgrave band a lot for whatever reason that that makes sense for sure uh my next recommendation uh there's a handful of singles out for the latest uh upcoming arms way album that will mm-hmm. be out this friday uh common suffering going to be out on the 29th uh for metal blade records uh there's been some great tracks released already the latest one uh, probably i guess the last single uh release for this record was with uh king woman chris that's Escaliari. a wild yeah that's so cool i love I love all the King Woman stuff. I think it's great. If you haven't checked that out, you should definitely uh, do so. Uh, but a really great guest spot vocals on this track. There's a great video for it out as now uh, as well. Is that the um, one where they're hanging upside down? They are. They released some, um, at least photos, kind of showing some behind-the-scenes stuff from that. It's definitely really great. And I think um, band's been working hard. It's been like six years since their last record, Post Human, also yep. on Metal Blade Records. But... I'm really excited for this Friday to really just hear everything. But you can check those singles out now. Another recommendation I have, uh, a full-length debut that's going to be coming out right here within the Chicago suburbs where I'm located, uh, Parasite by Stomach, uh, two-piece kind of sludge 
doom metal project um going to be dropping on october 20th uh they have a couple singles out now ocular migraine midnight in pain uh features some members of weekend nachos sick tired um uh, just kind of some uh, great hardcore bands from the area uh they're going to be playing a show i th- i we're recording this on a terminator timeline so I've yep. either been to the show by this point or I'll talk about it in the next episode, but they're opening for Crowbar uh, uh, at Reggie's and I'm, I'm is, very excited to go see that show. Is that the Crowbar Primitive Man tour? It is, yep. Ooh, with uh, yeah. what, Body Box Body as well? Box. I'm not familiar with that band, but I've, I've obviously seen Crowbar before. Yep. I've seen Primitive Man before, both obviously one of some of the heaviest bands of all time. I'm still hurting from the last time I saw that band. To witness stomach uh, opening for crowbar is going to be is going to be really really great and speaking of like the harm's way stomach tie-in uh harm's way announced that they're going to be doing a kind of release show uh in chicago on november 18th at the metro and so they'll have like a couple uh bands from their tour that they're going on uh i want to say ingrown's going to be playing that set uh but then they announced that weekend nachos is going to be uh playing some shows in 2024 as well as this show uh kind of towards the tail end of the year uh this release show and you know, I was at their last two shows at the Subterranean in Chicago, and that that was some of the that was some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen. It was so chaotic in there, but the fact that they're back—it's been like seven years uh, playing this show. Shit, it has, yeah, and it really for, has. You know, it's really going to be a, a great night in Chicago. So, uh, if you're around, I would highly recommend checking that out. I, I want to touch on Weekend Nachos because I. Our uh, mutual friend Nick Ray showed them to me, and obviously the first track I heard from them was uh, "Old Friends Don't Meet Shit." Yep. Uh, he introduced them to me, and I don't know if that's that's how you got into them, or maybe you just got through the Chicago tie-in. Uh, but I had a lot, of, I had a lot of fun listening to that band. Uh, a lot, you know, you can listen to their full catalog in like an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, it's just great records, you know. Uh, what is it? Uh, is it worthless? It has that great pullout, and it's like the John Lennon Yoko Ono. Yeah, yes, thing. it sure does. That's, that's so great. But what I hate wearing white shirts because I always massacre them. Like I've got a, I've got like a CM Punk shirt that's a mm-hmm. ringer, but like I barely wear it out because, yeah, God forbid. Um, but I love Chicago. Always will. Pepsi feels the best. Um, <laughs> but I remember distinctly owning that awful weekend nacho shirt with the red lettering on it that said destroy the Christian Reich yeah. on the back and it was like mm-hmm. a Christian metalcore band playing and I would just wear that to upset oh, it's, people. It's the two members of the band on the back. I, I have the same shirt. I thought it was like some Christian metalcore band. I was like that's even better. Oh that's beautiful. Yeah. Now they um the Freddy Krueger one was my favorite shirt. I have that one. I have a, a Sun ripoff shirt. Um, I have a few things for yeah. sure. I have one that's a Portillo's like kind of rip off of the right. Thong. That's up. I remember that's up there with like my cattle uh, Waffle House shirt. Absolutely. Um, it's perfect. Talking about good merch. I know we're kind of vamping here, but uh, when Rivers of Nile first like started touring nationally, they put out a Sierra Nevada rip shirt Ooh. that I wish I would have jumped on. Oh man. Dill was real broke back then. Um, <laughs> but Hopefully that band puts out more merch because I doubt I'm going to get to see them in any form because of where I live. But I would love to have like a, a bigger merch selection from that band would be great. Um, but I, I digress. It, you know, I'm stomping all over what you're talking about. Uh, no, I'm I mean, I'm sure when that show comes around, I'm definitely going to be. <sighs> my pockets got to going to have some holes in them that <laughs> go, night. Going to hurt. 
my last wreck, uh, an older record, or at least a, a little bit of an older record, I suppose, uh, Clearing the Path to Ascend by Yob. It's perhaps one of Ooh. my favorite records by that band. Yes. Um, my introduction to that band in particular, uh, honestly, I really love just kind of putting it on in the morning because I feel like you can really kind of sit with it and meditate with it a little bit. I was going to bring up, it's very meditative. Put on those like noise canceling headphones and just kind of have a coffee with it. I love, yeah. I love that record. Um, I, I'm currently in the midst of a mood move. So I was going through some of my records and I, I found that. And every time I, I come across it, I always put it on. So, uh, those are my recs. Dylan, uh, what do you have for me this weekend, bud? We're, we're talking about Terminator timelines here. So at present time, um, whenever this airs, who knows, I will either be about to go see the Mighty Cannibal Corpse or I have just seen the Mighty Cannibal Corpse on a massive tour that they're on, uh, which would be Cannibal Corpse, Mayhem, Gore Guts, and uh, Blood Incantation. Uh, also, depending when this when this releases and what timeline we're in, I prefer the one where John Connor dies. Um, <laughs> you know, the newest Cannibal Corpse album, Chaos Horrific, will have dropped. Uh, I've definitely been listening to the two singles that have dropped for that, Summon for Sacrifice, Bloodbind. It definitely sounds like Eric Rutan has found his niche within the band. He was already an unofficial sixth member of the band. Um, you know, Alex and the guys are going to put out a great record. This band never misses. They never pull punches. Um, definitely look out for Chaos Horrific. Uh, I also want to go with the... Uh, I don't remember what band this. Uh, some of the members of this band were in. I feel like it was Ludacra. I think they were in. Hmm. Or uh, possibly one of the kind of California black metal bands. Uh, but Relapse is putting out an album by a group called The Keening. And the album is called Little Bird. And the two tracks that have released from that are really bleak and just amazing. Uh, that would be the tracks Autumn and Little Bird, which is the title track. Really long tracks, but you can put it on and just kind of zone out and just have a great time with it. Um, and then a couple older ones, you know. Um, and doing research for our podcast here, you know, we wanted to hit some contemporary records. So that always, I just went through my record collections like, oh, I need to listen to this. It's been a while. Um, the debut ghost album, Opus Eponymous. Uh, it's been a long time since I've listened to that record. And to see where that band has gone from that record to an arena filling, like genre defying band, um, you know, Opus Eponymous was great. I remember doing my first tour and I listened to that album on repeat on my first tour. I would go to sleep to it. I would wake up to it. I would just put it on my my iPod classic and just let it repeat over and over again. So like songs like Ritual, Elizabeth, uh, those those tracks just are ingrained in me. Um, and it's such a great image. I don't care how schlocky it's gotten later on. Bring that shit on. It's like a 70s like uh, hammer film. Um, and on the more aggressive side, I went back and listened to the first goat whore record I ever heard, which was 2006's A Haunting Curse. Uh, it is the their Metal Blade debut album. It has the track Alchemy of the Black Sun Cult. I heard this album and heard the riffs on it and heard the vocals from Ben Falgo. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, and it didn't dawn on me that this was before I knew anything about like the New Orleans scene or the sludge scene. And these guys to me are kind of an outlier. Uh, they're 
almost too blackened for the sludge scene, but they're almost too sludge for the black metal scene. Um, I mean, these guys are fucking great. Every record they've put out has been a banger. You know, you and I got the opportunity to see them on their record release show at the Exit Inn in like 2014, maybe. It was right after you had moved back. Um, you know, we've we've got a long tie-in with like all the New Orleans bands because we're both big fans of those bands so much. And this band to me doesn't get a lot of credit because they're kind of in that they they started to take off kind of in that later 2000 era. Uh, but I think at as long as they've been going on and the stellar records they've been putting out, this band needs to be rethought of in that upper echelon of like, I hate God crowbar um, all of those bands, you know, they should be up there with those bands because of their longevity. Um, you know, they're, I believe they're going on tour or they're constantly on tour is kind of the thing with this band. Uh, they just recently did an episode of the Garza podcast, uh, which you and I are, pretty good fans of you know he's had some really cool interviews on there uh but definitely check out this record if you've never checked it out check out any goat whore record none of them are bad they're all rad you know it sounds like first wave black metal meets like you know hardcore and sludge from new orleans you know go to a crawfish broil listen to goat whore have fun with the shit that's it for the week uh we'll be back next week talking about couple more albums in the Cattle Decapitation discography, our last two records. Uh, you can always follow us for any updates on the show at Distortion891, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have a Riffs on Repeat playlist that you can check out if you ever get bored. Uh, always updated each week for you to enjoy. Uh, but until then, we'll see you next time. Ba-ba-bow.